Have you ever forgiven someone? Sometimes you're, you just really don't want to forgive them because they hurt you really, really bad. Like, I didn't really want to forgive my sister when she pushed me into the deck. I tried really hard to get my anger away. Then I got, um, then I took it all out and I said, I forgive you. It makes me feel good when I do that. I think it made her feel good too, somewhere in her heart. Why do we need to forgive? If there wasn't forgiveness in the world, God wouldn't even forget, give us. Forgiveness is like giving somebody a second chance. And God always wants us to give us second chances to other people. Because otherwise, if we didn't forgive, we might lose all our friends. Because we would just say, I'm not your friend. You're not my friend anymore. You did something wrong. You messed up my stuff. And then everybody would have no friends except imaginary friends. Oh, leave it to the kids, right? One of the funny things I think about that video is that the the kids kind of introduce us to the, the challenges uh, around friendship and the, the victories in friendship. And that's really where I want to start this message this morning. Um, I'm a big believer and I am here today because of the power of forgiveness. But at the exact same time, I'm here to tell you that I'm fairly convinced that forgiveness is the hardest thing we've ever done or the hardest thing we're ever going to do. And those might sound like they're mutually exclusive. Like if you believe in forgiveness, that you can't believe it's incredibly hard. And that's kind of the place that I want us to live with this message is that forgiveness has the power to change lives. And yet at the same time, it's also an incredible challenge that will tax us and demand things from us that we maybe have never even tapped into before. And I I know of maybe no better story to start with than a story that my friend John Randalls told me years ago. You met John earlier this year if you were here for our summer series on Esther and Daniel. I showed a video from John uh, before he passed away in 2014. He shared about this idea of when you walk in the room, does the room change you or do you change the room? Maybe you remember that video. But, But John told me a story once that I just stumbled on recently uh, about when he was invited to go to Colorado in 1999. It was actually April of 1999. And it was in the days following April 20th of 1999, he was invited to go to Columbine High School. It may sound crazy to you, but we're about six months away from the 20th anniversary of Columbine. I thought that was just shocking when I, when I made the math work this week. But, but what happened at Columbine was, was incredibly tragic, and John was invited because of a relationship he had with the uh, FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, chapter there that he'd worked with to come in and, and counsel students. And John told me that in the days following these tragic events that had the nation's attention on Littleton, Colorado, and this high school, that a father of one of the children who was affected by this tragedy, that he put up 15 crosses on a hill right across from the high school. Twelve of those crosses were for children who'd been affected by that tragedy. One was for a teacher, and the final two crosses were for Dylan Harris, or Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris. Those crosses were built by a father who had lost a daughter. 
And John said that profound act, that visible testimony of forgiveness began to stir in the hearts of people. And John's an evangelist and a pastor. And he said, I felt like revival was about to break out in that place. He said, but late one night, a couple days later, another father who was angry and grieving took two of the crosses to a different hill. The crosses that had Eric and Dylan's name on them. And he set them on fire. He said, and the revival spirit that had started in that place, it went away just as the night. It it kind of faded off into darkness. And reflecting on that, John told me, and I, I wrote this down, I found it this week. John said, forgiveness is a miracle. And it creates space for God's spirit to unleash a spirit of a revival. Let's be really clear. When forgiveness happens every single time, it's a miracle. We live in a world that seems to be unshockable. We're becoming more and more unshockable. There are things that if I told you them five or ten years ago, you wouldn't believe it. But today you treat it as if it's no big deal. We're becoming increasingly difficult people to shock. But when we see someone forgive, we go, Man, that's, that, that, that's unbelievable. That's crazy. And John said, forgiveness is a miracle and it creates space for God's spirit to unleash a spirit of revival. Forgiveness has the power to not only transform the lives of the people who are directly involved in the conflict, but everyone else who's watching. As we start today, I wanted to begin with a definition of forgiveness. There's lots of definitions, but here's the one I want us to start with today. I believe forgiveness is accepting what happened and moving forward without wishing harm on the one who hurts you. If you have a copy of the bulletin insert that you got when you came out, I encourage you to pull it out and fill out those blanks. Forgiveness is accepting what happened. So, so whether you're an adult or a kid in the room, if you've been hurt by somebody, to forgive means that you acknowledge, hey, you hurt me. Hey, this happened to me. You're no longer living in denial. You're not pushing it down. You're not squelching it. It is accepting what happened and moving forward without wishing harm on the person who hurt you. You can't be in a place of forgiveness and continue to want evil and hurt to happen to that person. A sign that you have forgiven is when you've let go of that anger, that bitterness, that revenge, and you're no longer seeking to hurt that person the same way they hurt you. And recently, I stumbled into an experience which caused me to step back and ask myself, have I truly forgiven someone? About a year and a half, I I led us through a series here called Toxic, about forgiveness. It was three weeks, and it was an incredible series. We heard just amazing feedback. And, And during that series, I started working on forgiving somebody that I had been carrying bitterness and anger and unforgiveness towards for about six, eight, ten months. But I said, hey, if I'm going to tell people to forgive, I probably should forgive too. And so I started working on that, and I thought that I had forgiven them. And then recently, I think it was last weekend, I saw them across the way from me. You ever see somebody, but they don't see you, you know? And so I saw them, and this is church, so I'm going to be really honest. I ran away. Got my car and drove off before they could see me. I, I ran, I texted my friend, I said, you're, you're friends with the chicken, you know, like I just couldn't do it. And I stepped back and I said, so have I not forgiven them? Like, have I not forgiven them if I don't even want to be in the same room as them? And I was reminded 
of a, a quote that in those days when I first was working through forgiveness that helped me, and maybe it'll help you. It's from Henry Cloud. He's a Christian psychologist. And Cloud says this. He said, forgiveness concerns the past. Reconciliation concerns the present. And trust concerns the future. And what I recognized as I was driving that day, feeling like maybe that I was chicken, is that I actually had forgiven them. I just recognized I also didn't want to reconcile and I for sure didn't trust them. And sometimes what I think happens is we take these three concepts, forgiveness, reconciliation, and trust, and we jam them all together as one thing. And so we go, well, if I forgive them, it means I must trust them. Well, that's not true. Because forgiveness concerns what happened in the past. Reconciliation involves two people in the present. And trust involves somebody in the future. You can forgive somebody and then go, I don't trust you. Do not do it again. You can forgive somebody and go, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. But I'm going to let go of that. I'm going to accept it. and I'm going to move on. And that framework helped me to come to the terms of the fact that I had forgiven them, but the other parts were still hard for me, and I'm not sure I'll ever get through them. It also unearthed for me, I think, some barriers that I think we face when it comes to forgiveness. Some of you in this room, I can even sense it right now, you're a little bit hesitant and resistant to embrace this concept of forgiveness. And I think there are some reasons why. One of those barriers to forgiveness is just fear. We're afraid of forgiving. We're afraid that if we forgive that person, it means that we're somehow saying that what they did was okay. We're afraid that by forgiving them, we're kind of dropping that shield that we've been holding to protect ourselves, and we're afraid they'll hurt us again. We're afraid that if if we forgive them, it means that they're never going to feel the pain that we felt the same way that we did when they hurt us, and so they're not actually going to feel how bad it was that we were violated by that. The second thing I think that stands in the way is that we we feel like we're being rushed. Many times I hear from people, especially when there's multiple people involved in a situation, they say, Scott, I feel like I'm being rushed into forgiveness. I'm being pushed. They don't understand why I'm not over it already. And sometimes when you're the person who has done the hurting, you're wondering why the other person isn't over it already. And unknowingly, you're rushing them. You're pushing them to do something they're not ready to do. Number three, we often say, I can't imagine reconciling or trusting again. And so we go, I, I don't, I don't want to forgive because then it would open those possibilities up. And so if I don't forgive, there's no way I can get to reconciliation or trust. We put those barriers up, maybe because we've squished all those things together. Or maybe number four, we say they don't deserve it. May sound crass, may sound bold, but for some of us, that's really the truth. We go, This is what they did to me. This is how they hurt me. And they don't deserve forgiveness. And they're never going to get it. And one of the things that unearths for me is a question. So if they don't deserve forgiveness, why do I? If they don't deserve forgiveness for what they've done to me, Why do I deserve forgiveness for the things I've done to God and other people? 
You know, I think sometimes we think that the Bible doesn't speak to the common places that we experience the struggles with forgiveness or other struggles. And sometimes we put people in the Bible up on a pedestal and say, well, there's no way they could ever struggle with this. And recently, I saw a new passage in a new, an old passage in a new light involving the Apostle Paul. And that passage begins in Acts chapter 12. And so if you have a Bible or if you have it on your phone, I'd encourage you to open up to Acts chapter 12. Because I'm going to show you some things in a new light today, a historical light. Often we read the Bible and we forget that when we're reading accounts of events, those happened with times and dates in history. And Acts chapter 12 is a moment that happened at what many scholars believe is about A.D. 46. We're now in A.D. 2018. Anno Domini is the the full word there. A.D. is the the shortened version, the acronym. It means in the year of our Lord. And so A.D. 46 is the setting for Acts 12, where we see some events that happen with the Apostle Paul. And in Acts 12, we read that Barnabas and Saul, which is another word for Paul, returned from Jerusalem where they completed their service and they were bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So it's Barnabas and Saul or Paul and John Mark. He's not from the South where everybody has two names, but we see him in the Bible with those two names. And Mark is the person who's responsible for the book in your Bible called Mark. That's one of the accounts of the life and teaching of Jesus. So they're going together, Barnabas, Saul, and John Mark. If you go to the next chapter in Acts thirteen thirteen, you read that Paul and his companions, which includes Barnabas and Mark, set sail from Paphos, and they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. And most scholars believe that what happened here wasn't that like Mark had signed up to only go part way and then go home. What most scholars believe is that John Mark abandoned them in the middle of their journey when things got difficult. And I don't know about you, but I've had people that I thought were with me for the long haul. And they abandoned me when things got difficult. They abandoned me when I needed them most. And I struggle to forgive them for that. And guess what? Paul does too. In Acts chapter 15, we get to about A.D. 48 or 49, two years later. And what happens here is that after some days, Paul says to Barnabas, Hey, let's go return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. In history, this is recorded as Paul's second missionary journey. The first one is the one that John Mark abandoned them on. And Paul says, Hey, let's go out and let's see everybody again. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had Nana with them for the work. So Barnabas is like, hey, let's give him a second chance. Paul goes, no, he abandoned us. No second chances. He proved who he was. Let's not bring somebody with us who's going to abandon us when things get hard. And so as we read, it says, there arose a sharp disagreement. Sometimes the Bible like soft sells things a little bit, you know, this is actually like a big fight. And it says, so they separated from each other, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Paul and Barnabas were best friends. Paul and Barnabas had been working together for over a decade. And this... This is the last time we see them together in the same place. This is the last time they work together 
in the Bible. They said, we can't work together anymore because we can't agree what to do with this wrong that was done. We're not told if, if Paul couldn't forgive him or maybe Paul couldn't trust him. We're not told if Paul couldn't forgive him or Paul couldn't reconcile with him. All we know is Paul said, he's not coming. And Barnabas says, yes, he is. And Paul says, well, if he's coming, then I'm not. It's as if they're a part of the kind of fights that we have today, you know, with people in our lives. And from Acts chapter 15, we go to the very last pages of what Paul wrote to read any recording of this relationship ever working out. It's somewhere between AD 61 and AD 67 that we read these words from Paul, who says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Why? For he is very useful to me for ministry. Now that's profound because a little while ago in Acts 15, Paul said, I want nothing to do with him. And kids, if you want to do a little bit of math on the weekends, you put 61 or 67 at the top and you subtract it from 46 and you get somewhere between 15 and 19 years of a gap. Some of you just recognize that you and Paul have something in common. You've been struggling to forgive for a really long time. There's some of you in this room that you've been carrying unforgiveness or a grudge for over a decade. You have a relationship that hasn't been the same for 15 or 20 years. And guess what? So does this amazing person who wrote a fifth of the Bible. And as you reflect on what Paul says here, I'm reminded at least of two really important things. That forgiveness doesn't happen overnight. And reconciliation isn't guaranteed. It takes Paul a long time to work through all of his emotions associated with John Mark abandoning him. And even though it says right here that Mark is very useful to me for ministry, we have no sign or record in the scriptures that John Mark showed up before Paul died or they even had any relationship ever again. We're reminded that reconciliation isn't guaranteed. And some of you know that because you're working through forgiving someone who is no longer alive. And so you'd like to forgive. You'd like to reconcile. But you can't tell him. You can't tell him you forgave him. You can't come back together. Or maybe you can't reach him. Maybe you like to see the relationship come back and be restored and start afresh and renew. But they don't want that. And so this story reminds us that forgiveness is messy. That we don't always get what we want. And it doesn't always happen when we want it. And today's sermon for me today, I was telling somebody earlier this week, feels a little bit like Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving every year, I do the same thing. I fill my plate with more food than I can eat. When I was little, my mom would say, son, your, your eyes are bigger than your stomach. And, and this sermon is that way. And there's a bunch of stuff that we're kind of kicking up today that, that you may need some help to continue processing through. And so we've created a page for you on our website, prescottcornerstone.com slash forgiveness, that if, if you need some more help working through forgiveness than we can offer today, we'd encourage you to go there. There are tons of resources there to answer questions and provide you with next steps. But today what we want to do is we want to talk about two truths about forgiveness that we think will help lay a, a really helpful foundation as we move forward. And the first one is this, that the state of our relationship with God 
is always reflected in our relationship with other people. How we are doing with God is always reflected in how we're doing with other people. Some people say it's the horizontal, horizontal and the vertical. Some people say it's like a cross. You know, there's our relationship with God and then our relationship with each other. But this is played out in the scriptures. And Jesus even tells a story about this in Matthew chapter 18. He tells a story about a man who owed an incredible debt, millions or even billions of dollars. And that man's debt was forgiven by the person who he owed it to. And, and that man should have been incredibly grateful that his debt was forgiven. But he went out and he found another man who owed him just a little bit of money. And he threatened that man that if he didn't pay him, he'd be thrown in prison. So the master called the, the first man back in because he had forgiven him this debt and yet he didn't get it. And in Matthew 18, it says, the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered into the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. He says, so also, Jesus is saying, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I said earlier that sometimes we say they don't deserve forgiveness and it shows that we feel like we're entitled to something that we've actually received as a gift. And if, if our relationship with other people reveals our relationship with God, and the truth is some of us are living and functioning as if we can earn God's love or earn God's mercy or earn God's forgiveness because we expect other people to earn it too. And we forget that the only reason that we're forgiven is because God gave us a gift. We didn't earn it. And the only reason somebody else is going to get our forgiveness is if we give them a gift. They can't earn it either. And that's why forgiveness is so hard, right? We want them to earn it. We want them to deserve it. And yet, when we forgive forgiveness, it is given as a gift. And not just once, but again and again and again. Dr. King once said these words. He said, forgiveness isn't an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. And that's why I said it's, it's got the power to change lives. And it's hard. To not just do it once, but to continue to walk in it again and again. And with that person that I was struggling to feel like if I was forgiving, I realized I made a choice in 2017 to forgive them. But guess what? It's 2018 now. And I have to continue to walk in that choice again and again and again. And if they don't deserve forgiveness and I want to withhold it from them, am I expecting something from them that I'm also expecting from God? Do I feel entitled to God's forgiveness? And have I lost sight of the fact that it's a gift? The second truth we wanted to share with you this morning is this, that unforgiveness stifles the movement of God in our lives. Unforgiveness stifles the movement of God in our lives. And I don't know why you're here today. People come to church for so many different reasons. But I think one of the reasons that cuts across all of us in this room, and those of you who are watching online, as you came today because you wanted to hear something from God. Maybe you wondered if God was still real. Maybe you wondered if God saw what you were going through. Maybe you wanted to know if God was there for you in the middle of what you're going through. And unforgiveness gets in the way 
of the experience you want. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Many times this verse has been misconstrued to say, don't the sun go down on some disagreement, you know, resolve all your fights before you go to bed. I have a friend who was told before he got married that he shouldn't ever go to bed and know a fight with his wife. And I said, dude, I've been married long enough. Some fights just aren't going to be fixed in one night, you know, like I'd never go to bed if I was waiting for that, you know? And so what he's saying is don't let that fight continue saying, don't hold on to that anger and that bitterness, because when you hold on to it night after night after night, you give an opportunity to the devil. He continues in verse 30. He says, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When you hold on to that bitterness, you grieve the spirit and you create an inability for God to speak to you. And I felt like since today was Kids Sunday and, and I've been talking about some heady stuff that we might go to maybe a little bit lighter level for a second. Anybody remember the game Kerplunk? It was kind of like a pre-Jenga. And um, in the game Kerplunk, the game would start with all of these sticks in here holding the marbles. And then you'd start pulling out the sticks one by one. And whoever stick pulled out When the marbles fell, that person lost. Well, this is the picture of what happens in our hearts when we hold on to unforgiveness. We come to church or we pray or we read our Bible hoping to hear from God. And God's there. He just can't get through. Because we're holding on to things that are stifling and prohibiting his voice to get through to us. We're withholding what other people need to receive in terms of forgiveness. And we're stopping and stifling the words of the Holy Spirit. And no matter how much we pray or listen to worship songs or come to church or go on mission trips or read books or listen to other people's stories, it, nothing gets through. And until we begin to surrender the bitterness, until we begin to surrender the anger... Until we begin to realize that we don't deserve forgiveness either. Until we actually say, God, I I need your help working through this. And we start pulling out the pieces one by one by one by one. God's spirit begins to get through again. I think the last thing you want is to not actually hear from God. The last thing you want is to stifle the work of God in your life. And forgiveness is the hardest thing you will ever do. But if you hold on to those things, they will actually keep you from what you want the most. I'm going to invite right now a couple friends on stage, including the friend who showed me this illustration for the first time. Would you welcome Joey and Robin Kaufman right now? This is Joey and Robin Kaufman, and uh, Joey and Robin lead a ministry called 1010 Ministries that really is built on the promise of John 1010, that, uh, that God would, uh, came to give us life and give us more abundantly, and they work with ministry leaders as well as people just in general around issues like counseling and mental health and um, re- recovering through burnout and unsustainable rhythms, and Joey's actually my counselor, We've been meeting together for about a year, and um, you know... It, we shared a little bit in the first service, but is there anything that, that, that you, was, you were struck by in this message that you want to just comment on as you start out? Yeah, and, and before I do that, uh, I was just, when we came in this morning, uh, I was 
asking God, is there anything to share that's, you know, am I struggling with, forgive, with unforgiveness? And when I walked in and saw Clovis wearing that green, uh, that green shirt and the green Packers hat. Packers hat, thank you. I don't even know the name of the I'm, team. I'm, I'm wrestling with forgiveness, too. So. That started my, my, uh, <laughs> my barriers here. Uh, but I will say this, Scott. One of the things in your message when you said uh, on the definition of forgiveness is accepting what happened um, and moving forward without, uh, without harm on the one who hurt you. Moving forward is just, it's just not a linear process normally. It's sort of a back and forth, up and down. Uh, and that's an expectation that we need to address before we do this thoroughly. Otherwise, we're going to, we, we tend to possibly cheapen the forgiveness process. So what you're saying, let me just clarify, is yeah. that moving forward isn't just moving forward in one direction without any stumbling blocks. That's right. Or any fallbacks. That's right. That's it's right. It's more of a posture and direction than it is a constant movement. Yeah. And it's just really getting honest because, uh, I think sometimes uh, some of us don't want the full movement of God in our lives. We'd rather hang on to the unforgiveness or not just deal with the feelings that are going to surface as we start these harder conversations uh, because they're just too difficult or they're too unfamiliar or we think, is it really worth it? You had an interesting comment about that, Robin. Yeah, I, I think sometimes we might not see it this way, but unforgiveness can actually be a defense mechanism to allow ourselves feel the uh, hurt and the pain of the offense or the injustice. And so staying angry is a much easier feeling to have for a lot of us than feeling sad and feeling um, unnerved and undone. Um, because anger, you know, it, we, it produces this false sense of control. And when we allow ourselves to be in just ultimate grief over something very um, harmful and hurtful that puts us in a very vulnerable position. And most of us rather not go there. And so I think unforgiveness sometimes can actually be a roadblock for those deeper emotions. I mean, I, I've felt that before, Robin, where I, I'm, I'm a little bit scared. If I forgive, what then? It's kind of like the unknown. Yep. And so when you're working with people, especially in a therapeutic setting, how do you help them work through kind of that fear, that Pandora's box? Yeah. Like if I, if I wade into forgiveness, what is that going to open up? And, and how, do, how do you help people get over those fears? Especially if there's been a history of um, repetitive hurt in a relationship. Um, and, and you're thinking, if I forgive him for this, then I'm going to have to deal with all of this too. And I can't go there. That, that's years ago or that's too much. And so if I am going to open that, there's going to be like this tidal wave and it's going to overtake me. And I feel we have to remember that if God is bringing about that conviction to forgive through his Holy Spirit, we have to remember that same Holy Spirit has been given to us to counsel us and to comfort us just as much as to convict uh, so that when we make that step, to trust that then that means the Holy Spirit is ready and waiting to serve us in those areas of pain and lead us well in it. Joey, you, you talked about the fact that a lot of times when, you know, you're working with a couple uh, in the counseling setting, that one person is, is ready for the other person to forgive, but that person isn't ready to forgive. And there becomes kind of some tension and some pressure to just be over it. Talk yeah. about that. Yeah, lots of tension often. What usually happens is, and we'll just use the example of a, of a married couple, for example, when one spouse has been betrayed, say, by unfaithfulness or something's happened in the past that's now starting to surface because one person is risking the honesty to go there in that conversation and, and deal with this. 
Uh, that person has already been processing it, and so the, when they bring it out into the light, they're ready to move forward. They're ready to throttle up and let's move forward and, and live this life in freedom. And when that news hits the spouse, it's like a tidal wave. Like Robin said, it's, it's like the wake behind a big cruise ship or a battleship where you're thrust into this wake just trying to breathe and sustain and, and not drown. Um, what that what that symbolizes is two different paces of moving forward. One person is ready to jump forward. The other person is just barely barely hanging on right now. And so we need to honor the pace that each of us is at and not just expect it to all happen overnight because it's not an overnight process it's, uh, or an overnight event. This is much more of a process that we begin and journey forward and put ourselves in a place of not being in control uh, and allowing that spirit, the spirit of God to really move and to heal. Robin, a lot of this message has been focused on us being the people who've been hurt and us forgiving, but there's also people in this room, I'm guessing maybe even all of us in other relationships where we've been the person who has done the hurt. How do, we, how do we walk through that process with somebody who's working to forgive us and not push them and not pressure them? Um, I know that isn't a question we, we prepped yeah, for, but no, I, I think no, it's no. an important one. It's, some, it's like what Joey was saying with honoring the pace. Um, when we've done the hurt and um, we are in that position, there's this sense of urgency of, I want to make things right as fast as possible so we can get back to the relationship I miss and I'm owning my stuff. And so just, just forgive me. And a lot of times, um, I I believe God does ask us to forgive and, and let it go. Um, but sometimes in that rushing to just get that relationship back, um, asking for that forgiveness is actually kind of covering up some denial because if we need to like process that pain, um, not indefinitely, but um, when we ask that of someone else and they're not ready, we have to respect that they need to kind of catch their breath and um, work through some things. And so the best way we can to respect them is to create that space and allow them to approach us when they're ready. If, if the pain doesn't go deeper, if the, if the healing doesn't go deeper than the pain, if the forgiveness doesn't go deeper than the betrayal, then it's not really thorough enough. It's, it's just going to stop. Say that again, because people should write that down. Okay. If the healing doesn't go deeper than the pain, if the forgiveness doesn't go deeper than the betrayal, if the rest doesn't go deeper than the fatigue or the exhaustion, then we're, we're not being thorough enough and we're going to end up more frustrated. Um, quick example, we didn't share this first service. Robin's recovering from surgery. She's two weeks into her surgery recovery. And I won't go into detail here, but the, the, the incisions are very small. It took a little band-aid, but what's happening on the inside of her body is taking up to six weeks to recover, uh, even though she looks normal here. I would be very uh, dishonoring of the pace if I said I want her to be back to her mostly awesome self uh, tomorrow. It, this, this takes a while, and we need to honor the pace of the recovery, even though it might not look like the recovery is happening or the process. Which, and the process just means to really acknowledge it and sit with it and bring it into the light and talk about it. One of the things you did when we were chatting a few weeks ago that helped me is you talked about that a lot of us are kind of like Fort Knox when it comes to forgiveness. Yeah. Our arms are crossed, we're not going there, we're locked up, and we won't even consider it. And you shared, a, I think, just even just a word picture that was helpful for me to be able to work with people who are just closed off to it, or myself with, with certain people where I'm like, I'm not ready to forgive them, there's sure. just no way. Yeah, just a picture like Fort Knox or this, this really intensely barricaded uh, door to your, to your soul. What we're talking about is more of a position than a, than a, or a posture than a position. 
So when we have a posture or an attitude of cracking that door just a few degrees, not even 180 degrees different, just a little bit, that allows, uh, that allows the space to start beginning this process. And the position will follow the posture. We will get to the place of forgiveness and possibly reconciliation, possibly not. Um, but it comes by cracking that barrier, that door, which takes honesty and which takes risk. So we're not letting the person in. We're just letting light in. We're letting light in. We're saying, can I, can I, can I trust and risk this new, this new way of living, this new way? And here's the thing. That person didn't necessarily ask to be put in that position in the first place. They were given this injustice and this pain or this betrayal, whatever this might be, and now they're, they're left to deal with this. Unfortunately, that's why life is not fair. We don't ask for this, but we have to uh, steward, this, steward this pain and steward this journey. You were going to mention another comment. Yep, and courage. courage. Well, yeah. and it takes the honesty, but it's, it's, you have to be a courageous person to be a forgiving person because it requires you to do something unnatural, and it requires um, a lot of trust that if I'm going to do this, it is the right thing to do, even if that person never even acknowledges that they harmed me. Um, forgiveness is basically, the benefits of forgiveness is pretty selfish. It's so that I can experience the anointing God has for my life, and I don't do anything to block that from coming. And so why wouldn't I want to go through that step of steps of forgiveness so that I can have the fullness that God has for me? If we wait to feel like forgiving, if we wait to be in the mood to forgive, we're never going to forgive. It's just, it's not our nature by nature to want to. And so that's where, um, when you talked about um, forgiveness doesn't happen overnight, I 100% agree with that. But cognitively, it happens immediately with a choice to posture yourself to forgive. And then emotionally, psychologically, it's a long process. And so it's, it's not shortchanging the weightiness of it, but it, it has to start somewhere. That's where I think it's really powerful to know that I'm going to feel the weight of it if I don't forgive. They may never know. They may never get it. And the, the scariest thing is if we live in unforgiveness, we have no idea what God could have done in us. And I don't want that looming over me, wondering what could have been in my life because I held on to this. One of the things we wanted to do today was to give people just an opportunity to begin. And so on the back of your handout are three really simple processing questions to make sure this doesn't stay as a theory and it ends up in real life. And the first one of those questions is, who am I struggling to forgive? You know, naming that person. Maybe that person's been on your mind as soon as you walked in and saw the topic, but who is in your life the person that you're struggling to forgive? And then second, what is my next step? So just cracking the door open, saying, okay, I'm not ready to go to the very end, but what's the next thing that God's shown me to do in this process? And then just really honestly, third, what is getting in the way? What's holding me back from stepping into forgiveness? And how can I, once I've named those obstacles, how can I begin dealing with them? Do you have any final words for everybody? Yeah, just to encourage people, a lot of... A lot of this is, is uh, can we get to that point of even seeing that the, do- that the door is there to open? Um, is there a secret that we've been harboring for years? Is there something that we need to bring into the light? And how carefully but thoroughly and honestly can we do that? Or what conversations do we not want to face because we might, uh, it might affect our marriage to the point of separation or divorce? These, these are some honest questions that we just have to face. Otherwise, we're going to be living lacking that anointing, lacking that space for the Spirit to move in our life. And this is risky to say, um, but holding on to unforgiveness 
is just as much as a sin. And I don't know if we often look at that, but God has asked us to forgive. And so when we don't, we are now putting ourselves in a position of sinning. And that's something we, that's between us and the Lord. Um, but that's a reality that we have to own. You know, sometimes God gives us battles that we didn't ask for. Battles, are we going to choose to stay offended till we die? Are we, are we going to choose to wrestle through this, climb that, that picture of that mountain you had earlier? This is a climb. And it's, it's just, we, we need to find somebody safe enough that we can trust that, that process. Uh, but we need to honor the pace, and it's, it's well, well worth it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.cornerstone.com. Prescott Cornerstone.com.